Welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things the English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll have reactions to the latest England squad announced by Gareth Southgate. A look back at the key action of the Champs League, including Newcastle's dream 4-1 win versus PSG and yet another disaster for Man United. A look ahead to the weekend's Premier League action with an absolutely huge game at the Emirates. We'll review and preview some of the key games across the EFL with midweek results and weekend fixtures. And we'll finish with a Pyramid Pod treble and an upcoming new feature coming after the international break. I'm your host, Alex Murphy. And once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Boys, start with the England squad. I'll quickly read through it and then just get your sort of initial reaction. So three keepers, Sam Johnston, Jordan Pickford, Aaron Ramsdale. In defence, got Colwell, Dunk, Gay, Maguire, Stones, Tamori, Trippier, Walker. Midfield, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Bellingham, Gallagher, Henderson, Phillips and Rice. And then in the forwards, you've got Jared Bowen into the squad, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, Harry Kane, James Madison, Eddie Nketiah, Rashford, Saka and Ollie Watkins. Laurie, thoughts on that? The Jordan Henderson one, I think, is an absolute shit show. That's, that's becoming a joke now and a disgrace because... <laughs> what he's basically done is retire from football, Jordan Henderson. I know he's getting paid £700,000 a week or whatever, but he's retired. And you've got James Will Prowse in the Premier League, for, for example, who is performing week in, week out consistently all season and has been in the England setup before and is at like a peak age. And you're bringing and you're leaving him out over Jordan Henderson, who is the other side of the world playing in a, a kids' league, basically. I think that's an absolute disgrace. And I'm very happy that Jared Bowen's in the team for the, the complete opposite reason. He's in form and he should be there. Um, I think it's really, really weird. We were just discussing before we came on that Nick Pope doesn't get in over Sam Johnston. Maybe Sam Johnson's been in good form, but Gareth Southgate doesn't seem to pick on form because Harry Maguire's in there and Jordan Henderson's in there and Calvin Phillips is in there. So I'm a Gareth Southgate fan. Um, I'm pro Southgate. I'm really happy with a lot of the work that he's done. But recently, a couple of the decisions that he's making, I think, are very head-scratching, to say the least. And uh, I'll pass over to Tomo just by reiterating that I think the Jordan Henderson inclusion, particularly at the expense of Jordan, uh, sorry, James Ward-Prowse, is an utter disgrace. Um, I wouldn't go as far as that just yet, but, and in terms of the England squad, I don't really have too many strong thoughts and feelings on it. Like with every England squad, there's a couple of players who probably has a shout to be in it, like, like Longstaff and Anthony Gordon at Newcastle have done unbelievable, um, in the past month, especially. Um, but I'm glad that Ollie Watkins is in. I'm glad Bowen's in. Both of them, are, um, are in form. You're looking at sort of, your Rashfords and your Grealishes we spoke about before the podcast, not in form or going through some fitness issues like Grealish. Um, but there's no way that they would be dropped for Anthony Gordon, I suppose, would they? Because the Italy game is the biggest, is our biggest qualifier. Um, so it is a big game. Be interesting to see if Saka makes it um, with his fitness issues. I don't really have much to add apart from clearly our left back. Um, Depth is a struggle because we've got our two best left backs in Shaw and Chilwell out injured and we don't seem to have a recognised left back. We've got Kieran Trippier who does a good job there and he's he does a really good job um, covering that position. And you've got Colwell who could potentially play there. But other than that, there's no, there's no one 
who I can even think of on the top of my head who would who would come into play there unless you boys can think of someone. I can't think of anyone. Dan Byrne, maybe? Uh, Dan Byrne? Yeah. I, I, well, just to take you back, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on why you wouldn't go as far as a disgrace for Jordan Henderson being included. Um, well, right. So because it's only a couple months since this happened, if this ca- if and it does feel like he's just going to, he's going to pick Jordan Henson now all the way up until the Euros. It doesn't make a difference about club form clearly because like Saudi, Saudi. Um, but if you were asking me this question and it was the Euro squad next summer, I would say it's a disgrace. But at the yeah, minute... And you've just, but you've just said you see him staying in the team up until the Euros Yeah, but I'm just, I just, at change. the minute, I don't think strong, I don't feel strongly enough about Jordan Henson being included. Um to call it a disgrace. And I, yeah. I'm like I'm like you, I'm pro Southgate. Um I back most of his decisions, but um I don't I don't think Henderson will play. Like, I don't think he'll start against Italy, which is the only important game. We've obviously got the Australia the friend I think it's a friendly, is it? Must be. And um yeah. yeah so I don't think he'll start. I'll, I'll probably I'll probably my anger levels or whatever might ratchet up a notch or two if he starts that game, then I might think it's a disgrace. But yeah, I, I think that's exactly the game that he might start Jordan Henderson with Bellingham and Rice in there. If Bellingham's playing this sort of false nine for Real Madrid and is playing a bit further forward for England in what we call kind of the 10, I, I think it will be Henderson or Phillips who's sitting there next to Declan yeah. Rice in the big game. Against Australia, you might get Trent in there. You might get Conor Gallagher a few minutes off the bench, but... I don't think he'll deviate too far away from Henderson or Phillips in that secondary midfield role. Much the same as even though we've got Colwell, who's playing well for Chelsea, Dunk, who's looking brilliant and saying how he's relearned football for Brighton. Mark Guy looks really good for Palace. I still think you'll have Maguire in there. And if Stones gets himself back fit, we've not seen much of him. I think you probably see Maguire and Stones with Walker and Trippier as well. I don't think that he will deviate from that. Murph, quickly, just before you come in, T-Girl, my problem with that is I get the Maguire one, I get the Calvin Phillips one as well, but who aren't in form and maybe aren't playing, but at least the mindset of Calvin Phillips and Harry Maguire, who both could have left their clubs in the summer, their mindsets are, I want to be an elite footballer and be at the top yeah. level and the high, play the highest level I possibly can. And they're driven towards that. Whereas Jordan Henderson's mind's gone uh, a little bit sort of, I don't feel wanted at Liverpool, let's jack it in and go to Saudi for 700 grand a week. And I don't want that mindset in our England squad. No, That's that. the difference like that. between them. Yeah, so if we look at it like managers go through cycles, don't they? Especially in international football. And Southgate is at the end of the cycle. And he's got his favourites, your Hendersons, your Maguires and your Phillips. And it seems to me like the Euro- he's gearing up for, the Euro- for this Euros next summer as is going to be his last tournament. Um, whether he wins it or not, I think he's gone. So I don't really think he cares about the development of England, the future too much, because I think he's just worried about this Euros. And I think Jordan Henderson um, has proven before, um, before the Saudi move that, that he's a good, good egg, a good squad member, um, albeit Klopp called him not so good when he didn't start for him, but I just think Southgate's at the at the end at the end of the cycle, and that we've got to accept that Henderson, Maguire, and Phillips, all fitness why all fitness um, or bearing any fitness issues, they'll be in the squad. 
Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. And I think we touched on before, like Connor Cody's almost gone in England squads based on being like a thoroughly decent bloke and having really good standards. And that might be what those players do. But I do think that two out of those three, definitely Maguire and then Phillips or Henderson will be starting in in big games for England, which then brings into Loro's point about um, picking on form and Henderson basically not playing elite level football anymore in Saudi. But we'll see England squads are normally post reacted on depending on results. And if we, not that the Australia game matters, but if we go and beat Italy at home and, and Maguire's in that team or Phillips and Phillips in that team, then um, they'll probably be like, yeah, they're, they're fine playing for England. And we'll probably, you know, we'll be sat in a month's time waiting on the November squad having the same conversations, but yeah, good for, good for Ollie Watkins to be in there. Going to struggle to obviously start and get too many minutes with Harry Kane, same as any striker for England at the minute. So it's about being ready to come on and grab a chance or grab a goal when you do get the chance and not be too mopey about not starting, but um, good for him. Um, we'll move on. Tomo, you mentioned about Longstaff and Gordon uh, and then probably feeling a little bit hard done by not being involved in the England squad or even really mentioned too much um, in the media or anything. But what a result for Newcastle last night in the Champs League against PSG. Um, I'll come to you for reaction, but I'll just say I sat there as a Man United fan, completely jealous of their team and their fan base and the general feel around the club. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I um, we we all predicted a Newcastle win, didn't we? So it wasn't a great surprise. What I thought what was the big surprise was the margin of victory. Um, I was surprised at how poor Mbappe was, and um, clearly I think he's had some fitness issues or something. But um, let's not talk about PSG. Let's talk about Newcastle. They were absolutely unbelievable. And do you know what? I think I've said this in a podcast previous but and it was about Newcastle and it's just how much they celebrate like a sliding tackle or how much they celebrate like an Anthony your Anthony Gordons and Sean Longstaff so those are exactly the type of players who will chase and harass and and work their absolute bollocks off just to get that sliding tackle and then the crowd the St James's Park crowd cheer that like a goal and it yeah it's it's a really good feeling at that club at the minute and we can talk about the ownership issues, whether we think that's a good thing or bad thing for football. But um, if we put that to one side, it's it seems to be a great place to watch football at the minute, and it's a and it's a great feeling um, for all involved. And do you know what, Newcastle fans, they've they've had a shit time of it over the last sort of 10, 15 years, however long Mike Ashley has been in charge um, or had the club. So fair play to them and. Um, cracking result and they top that group they top the group of death yeah Laurie yeah I think you're right to say that it kind of feels like Newcastle Football Club won that match last night it was the whole thing wasn't it everything came together and it was a night where they just wouldn't be denied and it was great to see the scenes you could feel the euphoria in the club and we've talked about how St James's Park can really add um, another 5-10% to Newcastle's performances Please for Eddie Howe. But the thing for Newcastle now is to stay a top club, they need to be consistent. So it's already well going to beat in PSG 4-1, who probably aren't the PSG of old. Let's go and see if they can go and beat West Ham away at the weekend, which we'll come on to later. But that's the big thing for them now. They need to be consistently in the top four or five to be in the Champions League year in, year out. But for now, just in isolation, last night, of course, a very, very good performance. And it just felt like 
they were sucking the ball into the net all night, the fans and everyone in the in and around the place. And yeah, great to see for their fans after so many years of mediocrity. Yeah, I say great night for them. We we've obviously got a close friend um, in our WhatsApp group who's a Newcastle fan, um, or has been since last season anyway. Um, and <laughs> uh, and he we, he was just talking about the team, and it's like Fabian Shah steps out from centre back. Uh, robs that Ramos of the ball who got shrugged off the ball all night by the way he looked terrible but um, robs him of the ball gives it to someone who passes it back to him and he just slipping over bends it into the top corner to make it 4-1 in the 90th minute and all of these things that were happening I was just in the mindset of trying to picture it at United with the current squad and that that's probably a bit sort of spoiled because of what we had in the 1990s growing up in the early 2000s but I, I was trying to like pitch the equivalent that's like Lindelof being strong and robbing someone off the ball isn't it and then passing it into someone who fires it back and him just sticking one in the top corner and running into corner like our friend said Shah was like three million you think about Dan Byrne like dying to get on the end of that ball to put the ball in the back of the net the stadium at full time all of those uh, songs blaring and they're walking around and the fans are all still in the stadium and I could just picture 24 hours earlier where you're looking at Old Trafford, which is emptied out, the roof's leaking, the stadium's falling apart, the players have trudged off the pitch and the stadium's full of Galatasaray fans in every stand of Old Trafford ripping down signs and stuff like that. And I just thought that completely highlighted the difference in those two clubs. But um, yeah, what what a night and, and what a result for Newcastle. And as you say, they've got some tricky league games that they're going to have to then get their momentum going for after such a high of a Champs League game like that. But to be topping a group with Dortmund, Milan and PSG, albeit two game weeks in, uh, amazing for them. And just quickly, Murph, Dan Byrne scoring a header for Newcastle last night, 10 years after scoring for Yeovil Town at Wembley to get us promoted to the Championship. Lovely little side story there. And uh, congratulations, Bernie. Yeah, nice, Bernie. I, I would like to know which one he preferred out of the two, the playoff final. <laughs> header or the uh, PSG one but yeah um, Tomo come back to you on United then so I just kind of spoke about the full-time scenes at Old Trafford um, actually what was shaping up to be a fairly positive night turned out to be a bit of a disaster again yeah and we can talk all we want about the negatives about that performance um, there are plenty we can talk all we want about the negatives of um, United as a club at the minute, there are plenty. Um, but what we've got to remember, I think, is this is a bit of a moment in time. Just, I was listening to Talk Sport today and they were they were banging on about um, Newcastle being the greatest thing since sliced bread. And they mentioned um, the February Carabao Cup final, where obviously United won that game. And it was just six months ago that United seemed to be on that upwards curve to getting back to potentially, um, well, challenging, not not winning the biggest trophies, but challenging at least. Um, so I, I, I don't want to be too negative about it. I think it's a moment in time. I, I feel like like United were an F, FA Cup win away last season from having an, like one of the best seasons, well, having the best season they've had for 10 years. Um, we've had a number of issues Eric Ten Hag's had a number of issues to deal with this season, injury-wise. If you want to talk about the game, I want to focus on two players. Um, and you'll be surprised to hear it's not Andre Onana. Um, okay. So one was Mason Mount, and I thought he was absolutely excellent. 
and a sign, hopefully, of things to come. He's obviously just getting back to fitness, and he's got he's got so much energy. And hopefully, and he and before last season, which obviously was a a poor season for him, fitness wise, and I guess contract wise. But before then, he he's been class. So hopefully that that carries on and continues. And then obviously, I want to talk about your big man Rasmus Hoyland up front, who I can't believe how good he looked. And and when you consider the fact that he was injured in preseason, basically had no preseason, and he and you consider the fact of all of the issues that are running through United's team at the minute, he has been the the big positive. And I questioned in a couple a couple podcasts ago whether he was ready to be United's number nine and to take that sort of mantelpiece on his shoulders. And it feels like he is. Like that that performance, I know it was against Galatasaray, so it wasn't against your Real Madrid to this world, but that performance was like he was carrying the team on his back. And I absolutely loved it. Um so Fair play to him. I don't want to be too down on United. It's just a moment in time. We've, we've got loads of issues. I'm glad to see you've taken my advice, Tico, and you're looking at the positives of Man United. And I, I want to echo that on Hoyland, go into a little bit more. Both What was brilliant about that for Man United, two very different goals and two goals of the nature that you need your striker to be scoring. So the first one, although it was a good ball from Rashford, it was a little bit awkward and he did well to adjust his body to sort of bury the header. And then the second one running away from the defenders and having the presence of mind as a young man just to lift it over the keeper and then run away, celebrate to the Man United fans. That must have been a great moment. And if he can use this to kickstart his Premier League form, you're going to be all right. Because a lot of the stats are actually okay after a lot of your performances. And I think we've singled out putting the ball in the back of the net as being one of the problems. If he can replicate that performance in the Premier League, he'll score a lot of goals. You talk about Galatasaray not being a Real Madrid, and I'm not big on the European leagues and don't know an awful lot in terms of European football, but that Galatasaray side, I knew a lot of the players. You're looking at Wilf Saha, Lucas Torreira, Devinson Sanchez, Icardi, uh, the painter and decorator at left-back um, that was at Man City, <laughs> Angelino. Like, this is a good side. If you were up against them in the Prem, you'd probably be... That's like a, what, a Villa, Newcastle, Tottenham, maybe type side that you wouldn't be just thinking we're going to win. So it wasn't a disgrace to lose from them. Okay, you lost it in a couple of moments of madness and poor goalkeeping, but a good side. And I actually thought there was lots to be positive from about that game. Um, Merv, you pointed out as well, Marcus Rashford for that assist popped up on the right-hand side and all of a sudden you've got a right-winger crossing in with his right foot for your striker. So lots to take from it. And it wouldn't surprise me to see you go and beat Brentford at the weekend now off the back of it. And Rasmus Hoyland, very, very, very good performance. Link up play, physical attributes, presence of mind, finishing, all the things you want to see in a in a centre forward that you've been lacking for a long time. And can I just yeah. quick can I just quickly What's stick up for stick up for Onana? Because he has had a bit of a torrid time of it, hasn't he? Um, since he's come to United. But he is. He, I think he's good enough to be a United goalkeeper. I think it's just, like I said before, in terms of United's form, it's just a moment in time where it seems like everything he's touching is turning to shit. And there are a couple of goals where, you, where you, especially that Arcadi, the Arcadi last one, where he just almost falls to the floor. It's looking like his confidence is shot to bits. But I, I'm fully back him to get to get back to his sort of Inter Milan form and Ajax form. Um, it just isn't it obviously isn't going as well as we all thought but I, I back him I back him 
Uh, I'll just say on Onana that I am a lot less certain on that. I've not really seen too much. The only game that I can think of was the Arsenal one for periods there. He looked like he, he had the most touches in like a United shirt in the first half. Looked like he's controlling it. Other than that, I've not seen too much. This amazing distribution that we were supposed to be getting doesn't look like it's happening. Even the clips out to the fullback, he seems to be going long quite often now. And I think his... It might just be a confidence thing, but I think his shot stopping is absolutely dreadful. And I, I think the mistake that led to the penalty, which ultimately cost us the game where he passed the ball away, I think that started about five minutes earlier. Do you remember a real timid ball came in from the right-hand side from Galatasaray and he sort of spilt it as he came out for it? I, I think that that kind of brought that on. And I think he just now doesn't really want the ball in possession, which when you're uh, wanting to be a possession-based team with a keeper who's meant to be electric on the balls really worry him uh and the edison allison slack uh, type distribution he doesn't have their shot stopping capabilities that come with it particularly allison so I i'm way less sold on him actually I i'm really really worried about that i'm less worried about the other positions in the team but him i'm really worried about but completely agree tom i thought mount was Brilliant. No one really seemed to highlight it afterwards, uh, after the game, but I thought he was really, really good where Bruno looked so poor. And yeah, you, you've all said what Hodgson said. Lauro said, reminded him a bit of um, Van Nisselrooy in the WhatsApp group. I've seen Paul Scholes has backed that out uh, post-game as well, said that uh, he reminded him a lot of Rude with um, he, where he was. Did in he? The yeah, he did actually, yeah. He did. Well, before so, or after I said it? It was after you, actually, after I said he didn't <laughs> oh. have the pace. So, yeah, you and Scolzi. So, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Tomo, very nice to see a bit of positivity about United. I think, as you say, uh, not all lost in the Champs League. If we if we can do the double over Copenhagen, Galatasaray look like we can get at them, albeit Turkey will be a bad game. And hopefully we can still get second place in that group. And yeah, if we can start putting the ball in the back of the net, um, then hopefully, hopefully our Prem form will turn as well. Just a final point on that as well is... You, Laurie, you mentioned about Rashford getting to the byline, crossing that ball in from the right and scoring. Everyone's been hounding Rashford about he's so greedy, he's so greedy. That must start to rub off on a player when he runs through and tries to square it to Bruno when last season he just put it across bottom corner. It's almost like now he doesn't know in his head what he's doing when he's running through. He's panicking, thinking, should I square this? Because if I miss it, they'll say I'm a greedy prick. And then he's gone to square it when he should have just nailed it in the bottom corner like he did probably 10 times from that that position last year and under hit the pass because he's worried probably about that as well. He's just someone who's playing in his own head at the minute rather than that when you're in good form, you're free flow and you don't think about everything. And um, I'm hoping that something like the international break, maybe a goal for England or something like that or being around the England squad can help that because, yeah, he, he looks like he's in a bit of trouble um, psychologically. And that's the biggest problem with Rashford, isn't it? His consistency, and that comes from a mentality. The top players are consistent and do it on a week-to-week -week basis with very few games off and aren't streaky like him because they don't have that doubt in their mind if they go through a couple of bad games. And that's what he needs to sort out. We need to see what he was doing last season all the time. And to be able to do that, he needs to be confident within himself and have the mental capacity to be able to come through like the adversity and the moments where people are booing him and um, saying God knows what about him, where he knows he's a good enough player to be Man United's tallies man. 
and he's got to ignore the people like you boys saying he's turning into a greedy player and he can't play on the left. He should be a winger. He just needs to get back to what he was doing last season and uh, he'll be a force again. But that is the problem with him. I, I agree with you. Psychologically, I think he, as soon as he goes for a couple of games where he hasn't been the match winner, he can fall off and it can take him too long to get back. Yeah, well said, apart from the fact me and calling me and Tomo out for psychologically affecting Marcus. Um, other Champions League games, boys. So uh, Arsenal lost uh, at Lons. Uh, Jesus scored there, but Lons turned it around to win 2-1 and, and Saka limped off there after having a couple of injury um, sort of issues in the previous couple of games as well. So we'll come on to that game, Prem game in a minute, uh, where they're going to play Man City. And Man City won 3-1 uh, at Leipzig. Uh, Foden, Alvarez and Jeremy Doku, who looks very impressive getting on the score sheet there and getting City back to winning ways. But let's go straight to that game at the Etihad in the Prem at the weekend on Sunday. Third place Arsenal take on City, who are top. Uh, the beauty of being host is that I can listen to you two uh, decide first because I do not have a clue on this game. Laura? Cheers. Uh, it depends on the on the teams for me. If 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 Arsenal is something like full strength, and by that I mean Saka is going to be have to be playing, then I think I fancy them with a home advantage against a Rodriguez Man City because I really do think a that that midfield is a little bit more. They still got good players, but a little bit more soft centered without him, and they lose his presence all over the pitch. Uh, whether it's picking up the ball and playing out from the back, whether it's defensively, whether it's attacking set pieces, whether it's the ability to control the game, they'll still be able to do that, but to a lesser degree. Um, this is a good time to be playing Manchester City. They've lost two out of their last three as well. But um, if Saka isn't there and they're missing maybe a Martinelli as well, it, that can disrupt the whole rhythm of Arsenal and it could be a completely different game and one of the ones that we're used to. But what I will say is they haven't got De Bruyne and they haven't got um, Gundogan who was sold in the summer. Two players that usually popped up with big goals against big teams to take those one and two nil victories in the last few seasons. And they are going to need Erlen Haaland and maybe someone like a Foden to pop up and be the match winner if they want to win at the Emirates on Sunday. So intriguing game, but I'm not one to sit on the fence. I am going to go with Arsenal to nick it, but with no real conviction. Tomo? Um, yeah, difficult one to call this, but Lauro, you just mentioned there that City haven't looked the, haven't looked the greatest um, in their last couple of games. Obviously, they lost in the Carabao Cup, lost to Wolves. I don't think they were all that convincing against Leipzig, albeit they got a 3-1 win. So for that reason, I just think they're going to cruise to a comfortable 2-0 win at the Emirates. Um, they've got a terrible, Arsenal that is, have got a terrible record against City in the Premier League. They haven't won um, since 2015. I think um, I think that was a 2-0 win. That was one of Wenger's last um, wins against City in that fixture. Well, it must have been Wenger. And, um, but yeah, Arsenal just haven't got a good record against City. and. For the exact reason that City are struggling lately and everyone probably thinks this is a great time to play them, I just think uh, they're, they're just going to cruise to a 2-0 win. Haaland scored in both of the corresponding fixtures in the Premier League last year and he hasn't been doing much lately, um, goals-wise. So actually, I think it will be Haaland who will get the goals and um, yeah, City will cruise to a 2-0 comfortable win. But um, I'm in the same boat as Loro in terms of I'm not that all convinced by my prediction. But yeah, that's just what I think. Yeah, I, 
I'm going to join you, Tomo. I think uh, I think City will win that. I think last year there was those sort of big City Arsenal games, weren't there? That seemed like they were kind of title deciders at the time when they were happening, and City just seemed to sort of catch Arsenal cold and blow them away a bit. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go for that. I think people are talking so much now about Haaland's form, lack of goals, lack of uh, what does he offer if he's not scoring goals, that sort of thing that I think he will look to be silencing his critics and probably will. So yeah, it pains me to say it, but I do think City will win. But if Arsenal do win that and just kind of put back-to-back league losses on City and a couple of teams can open a couple point open a couple points gap up on City post-international break, the league will be electric. So here's hoping Arsenal can do it. Um, but I think that might rely, as Lauro says, on Saka being fit if that is to happen. And I think we can all agree now that we've had confirmation that Mikel Arteta is a certified bullshitter because <laughs> he said that Raya and Ramsdale would be in and out, in and out. And I think David Raya has played every single game since that first change that he made. So, yeah, we saw through you, Mikel, from the outset. You're not fooling us. Raya actually was at fault for... I think the first Lons goal went to clip it out to Tommy Asu and uh, the ball was nicked and they scored from that. Uh, so A, surprise Ramsdale wasn't subbed on there and then by Arteta, but B, I wonder if he's thinking about swapping that up for the weekend fixture. It doesn't matter, mate. David Raya's got a more exotic name and has a reputation for playing with his feet. Yeah, true that. That's that then. Yeah. But yeah, can't wait for that one. Uh, that's probably biggest game of the season so far in it. And the big games just keep keep happening now. Uh, on to another one. Um, so Brighton play 12-man Liverpool or 15-man Liverpool um, on Sunday as well. Uh, sixth place Brighton and Liverpool in fourth. Guys, obviously the news has been pretty much dominated this week by uh, the VAR fallout from the Spurs game. Klopp's now come out and said that he wants the fixture to be replayed. But I think we've all agreed that that's potentially him just trying to secure future tight VAR decisions for Liverpool rather than actually thinking that's going to happen. And uh, Tomo, I think Brighton are going to have it all to do uh, at the weekend with uh, with Liverpool. Yeah, you say that. You say that. But Liverpool have only won one of their last seven games against Brighton. Um. And in this fixture last year, Brighton won 3-0. Solly March got a double. Um, so it's one of those fixtures that sort of plays into Brighton's hand because they seem to be, they play better against teams who come out and attack them and press them. Um, my my prediction here is that Brighton are going to win. Yeah, I've said it. No, I love that. Um, I think Brighton will win. I just think... Is it? I think it's Sunday, isn't it? I hope it's on TV. I haven't checked if it's on TV or not, but it better bloody it be. Yeah, yeah it is. and I, so there you go. I'm just, I'm just picturing Sunday afternoon. Deserby sort of face pans the camera and um, and sort of um, I don't know who who will be the who will be the lead commentator. I was gonna say it's Peter Drury, right? It'd be Peter yeah. Drury saying that Deserby's like gonna be the next Man City manager and blah blah blah. I just think, I just think Brighton win that game. Entirely different outlook for me. I, I'm not liking Brighton at the moment. And obviously lots of good press over the last few years. And I don't ever remember them going on a significantly run of poor games. But I just don't trust them at the moment. They're losing some weird games. Like the Athens one, the West Ham one. They got battered by Villa. Esther Pinan's injured for a while now. And he's one of their best players. Very, very good 
left back. And Liverpool, you said, uh, uh, play into Brighton's hands. I'm not sure they will. I think this sort of Liverpool reloaded that um, Klopp's coining them as will actually quite fancy that. I think Brighton will try and have a lot of the ball and, and Liverpool will be able to attack in moments and use their, their very, very good attacking players like uh, Diaz and Salah. I think it'd be a great game for Salah. And I actually see this being a little bit of a... Um, you know, one of those classic Salah braces or hat-trick type games. And I think it'll be a comfortable win for Liverpool, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I'm going to go Liverpool as well. Uh, and I've got a few reasons for that. Brighton play Marseille uh, away in the Europa League. And I think those Brighton, at the minute, Brighton first team players, this is their first European kind of adventure for most of them. And they seem to be still playing really strong sides in that and Marseille, I can't imagine, is a particularly nice place to go and will be a tricky fixture. On the other hand, um, Liverpool hosts, is it Union St. Gallant, something like that, Tom, uh, Union Street Brasserie, something like that, anyway. Um, and <laughs> there Shout are out Union Street Brasserie. <laughs> yeah, other cafes are available. Um, yeah, and they, they'll, they can play a much weaker side there. Um, and obviously, on not that it's all that far a journey to France, but all these little things matter at the top level. Uh, I think they'll rest some of their key players. I think they'll be fresher than Brighton. Uh, I think they're going to be quite galvanised. I imagine Klopp's going to kind of do this whole, it's everyone against us now, boys. Use it to galvanise the side. Um, and no, mentioned... Can I just come up? Can I just come in? Yeah, there? go on, Tommy. Of course you can. I actually think some of his players will think, will think they're embarrassed by his comments the other day. And... Laurie, you talk about it being a disgrace, Henderson getting called up for England. What Klopp said the other day about it wanting to be a replay, I think was an absolute, utter, unbridled disgrace. Like, it was... I agree. He had the chance to take the temperature down in the room and he had the chance to just sort of let all the air out in that in that sort of that hot topic of debate and, and he didn't. He brought it all up again. And he probably made the VAR officials and the PGMO feel 100 times worse than they already do. And I thought, I thought it was honestly, and I, liked, I, liked, I loved what Klopp said after the game where he just said, referees and VAR officials don't mean to make mistakes. We're not, we, don't, we don't think that there's any conspiracy against Liverpool or agenda against Liverpool. I, I liked what he said then. And then to then wait four days and sleep on it three days and then to say that I just thought it was bonkers absolutely bonkers and it embarrassed he, Liverpool Football Club in my opinion he's not actually wanting that game to be replayed is he he is trying to get these little marginal games and get in the minds of people who run VAR that Liverpool don't get big decisions go against them in the next few weeks. There's a famous one in there where he said about Liverpool get far less penalties than Man United, like just a, a run-of-the-mill comment. And since then, I think the stats have completely changed on penalties awarded to Liverpool and awarded for Man United. He, he's just a, he's a master. He's like Guardiola. He's an absolute master of it. And he is making, he's intimidating referees and VAR subtly by saying about replays, and that's why, you know, you see people are tweeting like Brighton have got such a hard game this weekend. They'll probably get someone sent off in the warm up. That's the sort of thing that Klopp's like instilling now. So I don't think he actually wanted it replayed. He's just trying to get advantages for future fixtures. No, I, I, think, I, he, I think he wanted it replayed, but he knows that it's not going to be. That's that's there's a difference. He, I think he does want the replay, but he he, know, he knows it's a stupid comment and he knows that it's not going to happen because it's never happened before. Um, 
as far yeah. as I'm aware. As far as I'm aware, it's never happened before. Well, I hope we never hear him complain about the fixture schedule again because he wants an extra game now. So, Jurgen, if you're listening, you can have the other game, but we're going to shove loads more onto your fixture list because you clearly want more. And just <laughs> to end this topic, I just listened to Mark Cooper, the Oval Town manager's pre-Averley press conference, and he was asked about it. And do you know what he said they, he thinks they should do? Give them both three points. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's, a, that's a sackable offence, in my opinion. And I think he said it seriously. But, yeah, two for four. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that, Mark. Uh, no one's going to listen to that opinion ever again. Um, just on that game as well, um, you mentioned about Salah Loro. Tomo, am I right in saying that Esther Pinyan's now got a muscular injury and going to be out for about a month? So, um, if he's down that, he's normally playing left side, not only good defensively and strong defensively, albeit look terrible against Villa, but uh, a problem going forward as well, which would maybe keep Trent and Salah a little bit honest as well. If that threat's gone and they I guess, might have to play Tariq Lamptey down there, who, who's, you know, a good player, but big blow for Brighton. I think Salah might uh, might run riot. Well, T- Tariq Lamptey played left-back against United, didn't he, at Old Trafford, and he was absolutely world-class. So I wouldn't have no worries about him. He'll be fine. Who did we have right wing? Not that palestry small lad, was it? Yeah, little Facundo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like Lil Tariq. I think he's a good player. Fuck. Yeah, struggled with struggled with injuries, but he's got absolutely frightening pace. Yeah, I think Lil Tariq's good as well. <laughs> right, come on, move on, let's go. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so um, two Liverpool wins there, but Tomo thinks Brighton. Uh, another game to move on to, boys. Seventh versus eighth, West Ham versus Newcastle. Laura, you just said about Newcastle's forming the Champs League, but having then to get their minds back on it away at West Ham. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, it's a difficult weekend of fixtures to predict, isn't it? But I wouldn't surprise me if West Ham win that one. Um, I think they've looked quite good this season, um, playing in a very certain style, and they're getting a lot of success from it. And sometimes when you have the absolute mountain tops of highs, they're quite often followed by, you know, valley ditch lows. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if just some of that energy and the come down from the PSG performance just affects them. And it's a difficult game anyway. But after you've uh, experience something like that. Maybe it'll go the other way. Maybe it'll um, maybe it'll help them put in a good performance at uh, the London Stadium. But I just if it's a really difficult one to to predict. But I hate predicting draws. So I'm going to say West Ham and maybe Jared Bowen can um, repay Gareth Southgate's trust in him by uh, scoring a brace for for David Moyes at the weekend. Two 0 West Ham. Do you know what I do you know what I think nights like last night will do to that Newcastle squad is I think it will focus their minds on to getting into the Champions League again. And I think they'll quickly switch onto this West Ham game like this is an absolutely massive fixture for us to be able like you said at the start of the podcast when we we're talking about Newcastle, the challenge now is to carry on yeah. making it. And I think a night like last night. Once you come down from the high of it, I think it will focus all that squad's minds into getting the Champions League again. And um, I think Newcastle have got a good... I think they they won this fixture last year 5-1 and they're unbeaten at West Ham Stadium in the last four games. Um, They'll be sweating on the fitness of Callum Wilson because he's got an unbelievable record against West Ham. He scored 12 goals in 13 games in the Premier League against West Ham. Um, I know he missed. I know he missed the PSG game with a little hamstring injury 
So I wonder if he's fit or not. But if, if he plays, I just think Newcastle win. I, I think Newcastle win anyway, 2-1. Um, West Ham have got Freiburg in Germany tonight. Um, so talking about energy levels, and I know they'll probably play a a probably a second string-ish, but it's still your energy levels of the travel, etc. So yeah, I back Newcastle. I think I'm going 2-1. Yeah, that, that'd be really interesting to see if Wilson is back fit. Obviously, I guess him and Antonio on the Footballers Football Podcast, that's their their derby game, isn't it? Uh, that one. one thing just to say on Newcastle is um, I was looking at the substitutions they made last night. They brought Matty Target, Murphy and uh, Elliot Anderson off and they're missing players at the minute. You just touched on Callum Wilson. Joe Willock's out injured with a muscular injury. Joe Linton's got a calf injury. Botman's got a knee injury. Harvey Barnes has got an ankle injury. Their bench was Elliot Anderson. They had two keepers in Carrius and Depravka on the bench. Paul Dummett, Lewis Hall, Livramento, uh, Miley, Murphy and Target. Their bench isn't looking that strong there. They're starting 11. You know, those Champions League games, you're out on your feet. You have that massive energy, sort of an adrenaline rush from it. If a couple of those players are out post-international break, I think West Ham is going to be a really, really tricky game for them. And they're a different side, aren't they, at St James's Park than they are away from home. you just got to look at Villa, first game of the season, and then when they went away to Brighton, two completely different outfits. When you talk about St James's Park adding to their performance, well, it's got to be the opposite effect away from home, and that's something they need to deal with as well. And West Ham, at the moment, is a very tricky place to go. So that's why I'm just favouring them at the moment. But another amazing game in the Premier League. Um, some good games this weekend, actually. Um Tomo, very quickly come to you. We've touched on United uh, and the Galatasaray, so we, we know all about where United are at the minute, but host 14th place Brentford. Um, I know there's suggestions. I've got a bit of an agenda against uh, Thomas Frank, but um, I really, really hope United can get back on track there and Brentford don't seem to be at their best at the minute. So do you fancy them to get all three at Old Trafford, United? Yeah, I'm going to be very specific about my um, prediction. I think Brentford will score first. And I think United will win 2-1. Um, United, United will be basically hoping that Sergio Reguillon is fit for the game because the Amrabat um, round peg square hole experiment in left back just hasn't worked. Um, no. I, I think he's doing a, like a fine job as a centre mid trying to fill in, but it's just it's one of those, it's just not working. Um but needs must, I guess. Hopefully, Reguillon comes back. I expect Anthony to start from right wing because he's he would now have had like a week's training and he come on um, for the last 20 minutes, I think, against Galatasaray. Um, but yes. Yeah, so... to the bench there, Tomo? Do you think Mount drops to the bench then? Because if, if Reguillon's fit and Amrabat comes into midfield, I'm guessing you're thinking uh, Casemiro, Amrabat, Fernandez. Mid midfield. I'm not 100 percent sure, mate. To be honest, I I would I would definitely start Mount after last after Wednesday, so I wouldn't do that. But yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure. I haven't given that too much thought, to be honest. Um, United, if they lose against Brentford, it will be there because we've lost two we've lost two in in a row at home, haven't we? Um, and it will be the the first time they lose three consecutive um, home league games since 1979 and we know that Eric Ten Hag likes breaking records for as United at the minute um but yeah Brentford I think they've um they've gone I think 
they've gone up in a lot of games this season and then ended up dropping points from it. I think they've either drawn or lost a couple. Um, I did have a stat up here, but I can't read it at the minute. Here we go. No Premier League team has dropped more points from winning positions this season than Brentford. They've dropped eight points. Um, so, yeah, so my very specific prediction will be Brentford go 1-0 up and it's all do doom and gloom on Twitter and then United um, get a couple goals um, to win it. But it'll be a tight game. I think you're wrong in the most part, but I do think Man United will win. Here's what I think will happen in midfield. If Reguilon is fit and plays at left back, I think Sofian will drop to the bench. I think Casemiro will play in there with Ericsson. And I think you'll either play Mount and put Bruno on the right, Rashford left, Hoysland up front, or Mount drops out and Bruno plays and you bring back in Anthony. But I think the the former of those two would be the way that I see it starting on Saturday. I don't think you want to get into a, a routine of playing teams like Brentford at home and having Amrabat and Casemiro in midfield. And I will predict 3-0 Hoyland hat-trick. I love that a lot. Like, incredible amounts, really. Uh, I would lo absolutely love Hodgson to get off the uh, mark in the Prem and, and catch fire there. I do think United will win as well. Tomo, I'd be really worried if Brentford do score first. One thing United don't seem to be able to do and haven't been able to do for years is if they go behind and a team sits in, then break them down. I actually think what cost Forrest this year is they went 2-0 up and then just thought, well, this is piece of piss. And they went on the hunt for goals again and left those spaces where United could then get in behind. But you saw in the Palace game, Anderson scored, they shut up shop and we couldn't break down the two banks. And I think Brentford are quite well drilled. And I think if we do go 1-0 down, there'll be a team who will sit in and I would really, really worry about United then breaking, breaking Brentford down. But I do think United will win. I can't see and I can't fathom them losing again. Uh, and I think they do need a bit of brightness before the international break. Uh, I think it might hinge on whether Regulon is fit because that balance down that left-hand side at the minute is terrible. And I feel really sorry for Amrabat, who's had to come in and just play left-back for his first four games um, as a United player. He must be desperate to show what he can do in midfield. Uh, and yeah, I agree with you, Laura. I don't think we should be in the situation where we're playing Casemiro and Amrabat in midfield. I think you might start to see some games as the squad starts to come back where Casemiro doesn't start. Um, if his legs are just starting to go because he's getting absolutely flogged at the minute for 90 minutes in every game. So it might then be you have uh, Amrabat. Uh, did you see Casemiro won United's Player of the Month for September? Yeah, I know. I couldn't, believe, he, I couldn't believe it. It's because he scored like a brace, isn't it? It's like he's literally just scored goals. There was literally no one else for it to go to. Sergi Regulon probably would have been if he hadn't got injured, but... He's been absolutely terrible, but he seems to have decided now, Casemiro, like, I can't be asked of all this defensive midfield stuff. I'm just going to start spraying balls and be a cam and get in the box. But that's unfortunately not what we bought you for, Cass. Well, well, well I, I would like to... I know you boys are saying we shouldn't see it here, but I would like to see a midfield um, double pivot of those two, Amrabat and Casemiro, just to see if that helps out Casemiro at the minute. Because, like you said, he's getting run all over and it and he's and he needs help. Um, the only yeah. thing with that for me is we've signed, I've, I've touched on this before, we've signed Mount for 50, 60 mil to be a midfielder. Bruno's now club captain, so won't be dropped. So one of him and Mount then need to play out wide, but we've got Anthony, who's our 90 million pound right winger that we've signed that I presume Ten Hag's going to stick with and does think that he provides balance. So I know all great teams have depth. I know City do, but 
he's going to suddenly have a slightly different issue, Ten Hag, which is a bit of a nice one to have, is how does he fit those four all into the side, Mount Bruno, Amrabat and Casemiro. So, yeah, I'm sure he'd rather that than what he's currently having to do, though. Yeah, yeah. I think Casemiro should open up a restaurant called Yellow Cards and Headed Goals. And I think he should serve hot dogs. But that's just me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there is that. But that's all he does in games. He gets booked and scores headers every single game. And he's sent for loads of hot dogs. So... (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Uh, Laura, coming to you for the next game very quickly. Uh, second place Spurs travel to 17th place Luton. Must admit from an FPL perspective, I've gone in hard on Spurs here. Um, Luton did actually have Burnley in the week and Burnley got off the mark. But at the weekend, uh, Luton got their first win. Are you foreseeing, as I'm hoping, a comfortable Spurs victory? Yeah, I've got no in-depth analysis on that one. I don't think we have to overthink it, do we? I think Spurs will be far too much for them and, you know... Four, four, five, one. Maybe Luton can give Kenilworth Road something to shout about for a consolation. But I see them getting beaten pretty handsomely. Tomo, yeah, completely agree. I've got Son, Son and Madison in my FPL team, so hoping for that prediction to come true. Um, but yeah, nothing in depth there. Just Tottenham win. Yeah, I've got. <clears throat> I've added both to my squad actually, uh, alongside Destiny. Uh, at the back and I've actually captained Son as well I've gone against Haaland for the first time this season obviously of him playing Arsenal which is why I think Haaland's so short to score at the weekend <laughs> um, good, good, good chance for Tottenham to hit the, hit the top as well they can go first and maybe a decent chance of Arsenal and City drawing as well on Sunday so it'd be a nice one psychologically for Tottenham if they could lead the Premier League going into the international break yeah, and do, you know, so... and do you know what, quickly, it, d- it does feel like we're talking a lot recently about Ange ticking off these sort of check boxes of making Tottenham, um, as Donald Trump would say, great again. And this is the type of the 12.30 Saturday midday fixture against the promoted club just feels like a Tottenham of old might slip up. So, and and the way Ange started this, this year or this season... Um, none of us think that at all, and and it'll be interesting to see if they do it. I, obviously, I, I think they'll win comfortably, but yeah. yeah. And the pro- the problem with the Donald Trump f- phrase that you've just coined there is that Spurs were never great in the first place, so it's an even bigger job, isn't it, for for Ange to do? And I think if they go and smash loot into pieces Saturday lunchtime, they'll reach the top, and then we, I think we could all probably quite easily see Arsenal, Man City being a draw. Suddenly, we're going into an international break in October mm. with Tottenham at the top. And like you say, another tick box for Ange. Um, when does it start getting serious? Yeah. Yeah. Another international break in November. And then obviously Christmas is normally the point where te- they start bringing out stats about teams top of Christmas. So, yeah, let's see how... Uh, can can how- I just quickly, before we move on, can I just... How good and just purely for content purposes and Man United are obviously not going to win the league but how good would it be if Tottenham won the league this year after Harry Kane left just I just think it would be such good value on on social media and and in general like because he would honestly if Tottenham win the league if seriously if Tottenham win the league this year I would drop Harry Kane from the England squad altogether because he's cursed (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, yeah if, you, you can just see Harry Kane sat in Bavaria, can't you, with the Bundesliga trophy in one hand and his dick in his other hand, thinking, <laughs> oh my fucking God, I have fucked it. I can never return home to London. He'll have to move the family out and stay there forever. Yeah, now I've got a vision in my head that I really wasn't expecting two minutes ago. Um, quickly touch on the rest of the Premier League action, boys. So uh, 15th place Wolves host, uh, 5th place Villa. Wolves obviously beat Man City last weekend and Villa have got a uh, midweek game on Thursday. So might be a little bit of an advantage there for Wolves. 18th place Burnley, uh, who got their season off to off the mark uh, midweek, host Chelsea in 11th, who also won on Monday. Ninth place Palace host 12th place Forest. Uh, 16th place Everton host 19th place Bournemouth, which somehow isn't the worst game of the weekend, uh, where 13th place Fulham host 20th place Sheffield United. So, yeah, few amazing games that match the day will be great for. And then I think halfway through, everyone will turn off and go to bed. Uh, we'll move on to the championship. So, um, there was midweek action uh, that happened, but also uh, obviously fixtures coming up at the weekend. The best which looks like second place Ipswich host third place Preston. Um, Ipswich came off midweek. They won 3-0 um, versus Hull, but Preston, on the other hand, lost 3-0 against Leicester. Um, results just starting to drop there a little bit for Preston. So fancy Ipswich to to win at home there. Yeah, completely agree. And did you boys see the um the little viral clip of Ed Sheeran going in the Ipswich dressing room after the game? No. Uh, and they were all singing that song perfect to him. It was um How does that one go, Tigo? It was slightly awkward and he was like he was there, stood there with Kieran McKenna, oh, like hold it holding Kieran McKenna. Um yes, I predict Ipswich to win that one. Preston, like you say, they were winning quite a lot of games, weren't they, just by the one goal? Um, yeah, I won't be singing perfect, Loro, so get that smirk off your face. <laughs> no, but I think Preston are third in the league and their goal difference is zero. That sums Preston up to a T. Yeah. Yeah, just fully back Ipswich to win that one. Um, so I'm just sort of waiting for it to stop with Ipswich. Like, I just keep thinking, like, at the start of the season, they were quite highly fancy because they were, went on such a good run at the end of their League One campaign. And you're just waiting for them to kind of fall off. Fall off. But other than the Leeds loss, I think they've almost won, maybe drawn one and won every other game. So, incredible job. Can't speak highly enough of Kieran McKenna like we already have. And um, I'm going to need them to drop off at some point for Leeds to come through. But whether it will be this weekend or not, we'll have to wait and see. They've got Preston, Laura, at the weekend. Then they've got, uh, after the international break, they go to Rotherham and Bristol City and then host Plymouth and then Birmingham Swansea. So, it doesn't even look like they've got those big games coming. I don't know if they've already had them and other than the Leeds one, they've just done really well in them. Um, but fixtures that favourable, albeit the championship. Uh, can, can yeah, return. you don't get favourable fixtures in the championship, uh, like Rotherham away. That will just be horrible. Do you know what I mean? There's just as much chance losing there as playing Leicester at home. So, But we spoke, about, we spoke about how impressive Hull have been, haven't we? Under... Um... Under Rossinia, I was about to say Leroy then. Uh, Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so actually, that's a really good result. I know it was at home, but Hull are no pushovers, are they? So it seems like whoever they come up against, they're gonna they're gonna do a good job and make a good fist of winning. Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, so we just touched on Preston lost three 0 versus Leicester. Uh, Leicester are home to Stoke. At the weekend, I really fancy Leicester to get all three there. Not a massive shout, but Stoke lost 1-0 versus Saints midweek. 
Um, some of the names there, Vardy, Iniacho, Dewsbury Hall seem to be popping up on like a game by game basis now scoring. And Dewsbury Hall seems to, I know we've touched on it before, seems to be elite level for championship. He's got five assists and three goals in 10 games and obviously got the brace in the week, didn't he? Um, seen a couple clips of him. I when he when he broke through, I thought he was a good player as well, but probably just a little bit um naive, maybe, or just a little bit inexperienced for the Prem. And th- like Leicester getting relegated was probably for his career development, was probably the, yeah. the best thing for him because now he's gonna play in a tough league in the championship, he's gonna play um and he's gonna make him like a proper durable centre mid. I think when he comes up next season, because I do expect Leicester to get promoted, I think he'll be a proper Premier League player. And he look he looks too good for that league already. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I'm not the the problem is Leicester. I don't even think they've started playing their best football yet. Yeah, and yeah. their poor performances because of their players are just they're still winning anyway. And I talk I've said before that at some point they will run into a sticky patch. Maybe that'll just be them winning one nil and getting the odd draw rather than going for a losing phase. And uh, yeah, quite scary, really. It's starting to seem like there's only going to be one automatic place up for grabs because Leicester have, I think they're already mathematically promoted, to be honest with you. You know what they've done? They've obviously got players. Because I I, I was racking my brains as to thinking, why have like Ndidi and Iheanacho and those type of players stayed? But usually with, it was such a shock that they got relegated because they were challenging for Europe the years before. Yeah. That club probably didn't have those relegation contract clauses where you, you know, yeah. sometimes like your wages goes down by 50%. So like Ndidi yeah. and Iheanacho will probably be on Premier League wages now. And that's why they're still there. And obviously that means that, and they were able to keep them. And that means that they're just far too good for the championship. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even players like James Justin, who was yeah. like, I think in the England squad not long ago. And then you add in like your Harry Winkses and players like that. M- um, Mavididi, who by the way is English and holds the record for the most appearances in the French league, overtaking Chris Waddle at the age of 25 that I found out the other day, what a signing he's been just all over the pitch. They've got quality. And even when they get injuries, their B team will be probably too good for most of the league as well. So yeah, they'll be returning to the Premier League. Good stuff. A um, couple of other games, boys. So two informed teams, fourth place Sunderland, uh, host 17th place Middlesbrough. Uh, Sunderland won 2-0 versus Watford in the week and Middlesbrough have won three in a row now. Um, looked like Michael Carrick was heading for heading for getting the sack there, but he seems to have turned things around. Obviously, tough place to go, uh, Sunderland. But if he can if he can uh, get a result there, I think they suddenly climb through the mid-table and they're randomly like four points off the playoffs, which just goes to show what a turn in uh, form can do in the championship. Lauro, Leeds, 1-1-0 uh, midweek versus QPR, which I guess you were watching while everyone else was watching Champs League. Little bit of reaction on that. And then your thoughts ahead of uh, hosting Bristol City, who... Uh, got a late winner uh, against Rotherham midweek. I think Tommy Conway got a brace there, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, last night was just about three points for Leeds. Bouncing back after the Southampton performance, we were unbelievably dominant in the first half. It may be the first ever game that's been 100% possession at halftime. Um, got one goal, didn't get that killer one, and it was that that age-old, the longer it goes on at 1-0 QPR sort of thing, ooh, we've got a chance now. Daniel Farquhar actually said that in his... Um, presser after the game 
late on, Asmir Begovic got sent off for a Patrick Bamford dive. Terrible dive. Or he almost looked embarrassed afterwards. And I think he's apologised to uh, uh, Gareth Ainsworth after the game to say, look, he never touched me and you'll be able to rescind that. But nice to get three points. And then, yeah, Bristol City, who... Lots of good, young, talented players coming through. Tommy Conway being one of them. I watched after Leeds. There was about 10 minutes added on um, of that Bristol City-Rotherham game. And I think it looked like it was only going to go one way. Rotherham had already made all their subs. And ex-Man United player, Tyler Blackett, goes off with a hamstring injury. Down to 10 men. And all of a sudden, there's so much space all over the place. And uh, yeah, Tommy Conway got on the end of a good ball. And it was a good finish. And another good win for Bristol City, who are sort of just lurking below the likes of Leeds at the moment, I think. So it'll be a tough game. But I fancy us to win at home at the moment. We're very strong. Yeah, and boys, just just to touch on one more team uh, in the championship, we've seen that the uh, sack sacking season started now um, across the leagues. But Sheffield Wednesday um, have parted ways with their manager, Laura. I'm just going to read through the odds of potential uh, next managers, and just if there's any there that stick out to you, and Tomo as well, obviously. Um, two to one, Neil Warnock, obviously recently departed Huddersfield Town. Uh, Danny Roll at four to one, who's a human I've never heard of in my whole entire life. <laughs> um, Nathan Jones at five to one, who obviously uh, departed Southampton earlier this year. Dean Smith from Leicester, ten to one, uh, left there in June. Steve Cottrell, who was at Shrewsbury last year. Uh, Neil Thompson, who was at Sheffield Wednesday a couple of years ago, uh, and then a chap called Liam Richardson, who was previously at Wigan at sixteen to one. Uh, if you had to put your one pound each way somewhere there, boys. Uh, Nathan Jones, Sheffield Wednesday we're talking about, aren't we? Nathan yeah. Jones, I, I think, would be make the most sense. Um, they've got an owner there that's come out and said he don't really want to spend any money. And Nathan Jones obviously did very well on a shoestring at Luton. And do you remember when Nathan Jones went to Southampton? He sort of said, like, I could have stayed in, in Wales and married a nice Wales bird. Like he's got a bit of ego about him. And I think he'll look at that Sheffield Wednesday job and think, I've done it in the championship before with a little budget, but that's a big club. Um, can only get better. I think they've drawn two and lost eight of their first 10. And it might be quite an attractive one for him. So I definitely think Nathan Jones will be applying for that job. And I think it would be an, an all-white fit. Yeah, completely agree with that. And that's why I don't think it will happen. <laughs> that Sheffield Wednesday owner seems absolutely off his head, doesn't he? Um, yeah. Getting promoted and then sacking Darren Moore straight away is just mental to me. Uh, Nathan Jones just makes far too much sense, so I don't think it will happen. Well, on that train of thought, you mentioned a name there, Danny Roll, who you'd never heard of. Normally, when there's a bit of a weird name in there, there's a reason for it, and maybe he's like mates with the owner or something like that. I don't want to be disrespectful. Yeah. Maybe he's had a really good managerial career that I've I've it's slipped, slipped by me, but I've never heard of him either, I don't think. Um, but he's in there for a reason, isn't he? I've just Googled him and the write-up on him is lesser known 34-year-old coach considered by ours is currently out of work, <laughs> which is some write-up <laughs> for the chap. So an unemployed geezer that no one's ever heard of, but he's like third favourite. So it'll probably be him. Yeah, we? you're probably right. Um, but yeah, look out for that um, and see see where the owls turn to. But whoever takes that has got an absolute job on their hand, which might be why they've got Neil Warnerkin at two to one, thinking he can come and have a, another year's magic and keep them up. Boys, we'll move on to League One. So um, 
First place Portsmouth, who are unbeaten in the league this year. Uh, they host eighth place Port Vale. Port Vale's form's dropped off a bit of a cliff, really. They've not won in their last four. Uh, second place Oxford, who've won four in a row, host 12th place Bristol Rovers. They won 3-0, actually, against Port Vale midweek Rovers. And uh, I listened to that Joey Barton thing, Laurie, that you advised last week. That was a complete head loss, wasn't it? Um, and the chap that he went in on uh, wasn't in the midweek squad at all um against Port Vale but Bristol Rovers did win three now you know what though yeah. I listened to yeah. as well and actually I I felt a touch of sympathy for Joey Barton I I I thought this this lad who I I don't know anything about this situation apart from what Joey Barton said so maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree here but it, it obviously that that lad what's his name Danny Ward is it or someone like that someone I think Ward. it was Luke Thomas Oh, Luke Thomas, that's it. I don't know where I'll get Danny Ward from. Jesus. Yeah, no, um, yeah, it just sound like he, he sounded so frustrated and so um sort of almost humiliated by Luke Thomas that it, it felt justified to me. <laughs> but maybe that's just the sort of the old grumpy 31-year-old that I am. Yeah, thanks for that balanced argument, Tegal. Only heard Joey Barton's side of the story, and that was your opinion. Yeah, only heard Joey Barton's side of the story and then completely got the name wrong of the player in question. Some insight. Um, Let's edit that out. Yeah. Uh, Cheltenham hosts Derby. Uh, Derby won 3-1 at Blackpool. Cheltenham, though, still no goal. Um I think their manager who's come in said that it's going to be weeks before they even look like a side that compete at that level. And it'll be really, really interesting to see if they do get a, even a goal, which is a terrible place to be uh, as a football club where you're not even thinking about a result. It's just if you can get on the score sheet or not. But we'll probably keep that little segment going until Cheltenham do get off the mark. But it will be absolute scenes in the stands at Cheltenham when uh, when a goal does go in. Third place, Bolton host Carlisle. They'll be looking to continue their good form. Fourth place, Barnsley go to 10th place, Exeter. And uh, fifth place, Stevenage. Uh, they have Wigan, who are 23rd. Both sides have not won in a few after good starts there, so they'll both be looking to to get three points. But League One looking as uh, strong and as uh, open as ever. Move on to League Two quickly. Uh, first place, Notts County. They won 3-1 versus Swindon in the week, and they go to 10th place, Barrow. Uh, we'll come back to that fixture for a later segment in the pod. Uh, second place, AFC Wimbledon, which every time I look at the table just completely shocks me that they're up there. But they've won three in a row. They go to Mansfield in seventh. Um, Mansfield are in seventh, but they I don't think they've lost in the league this year. They've got seven draws in 11 games, um, which is obviously quite a lot of points dropped when you think about it across seven fixtures. What's that? 14 points that have been dropped, but um, they're still in seventh. So if they can just turn a couple of them into victories, they'll be right up there, Mansfield. Uh, third place crew go to Salford. Salford have won two in a row. I think we spoke a couple of pods ago about Neil Wood being potentially in trouble there, but they seem to have uh, turned it around a little bit there. Uh, but crew haven't lost in their six, in last six League One games. Uh, fifth place Crawley, who were uh, unfortunately doomed midweek because they were in our pyramid podcast treble. Um, they host ninth place Wrexham, who've had a couple draws in a row. Another. A uh, tricky fixture there for Wrexham. And fourth place, Stockport, who've won five in a row, uh, host Doncaster, who did beat Crawley in the week. But Stockport be looking to continue their good form. 
and a little name check. I'm sure Louis Barry will be looking to get back on the score sheet after not scoring and breaking a run of seven games. Ex-Barcelona. He was ex-Barcelona. This is very true. But yeah, as always, League Two got some uh, big fixtures towards the top of the table there uh, for it. Boys, just before we move on, just want to touch a little bit on Scunthorpe and Southend. Um, so look like both clubs are in a little bit of, uh, well, have been in quite a bit of trouble. Something that followed a similar path to what Yeovil have had, albeit Yeovil had a takeover uh, in the summer. But looks like both sides uh, have now been saved now, which is great news for them. But Scunthorpe, a side that probably followed a similar path to Yeovil, really, Laura. We used to have some League One games and I guess League Two games against them, and they've dropped down into National League North now. And then Southend, very similar. Um, we've been to a few games at Roots Hall to watch Yeovil Southend, and Yeovil have got them in the FA Cup now, haven't they? Yeah, they have next week. And like, like you say, just so good to hear that both of those brilliant institutions of English football um, have been bought out and saved because just like, just think about like the thought of that happening to Yeovil, which actually wasn't too far away last season when we had a um, horrendous owner. It's not just the football club, it's the whole community and the, it's like the livelihoods of a lot of people and everyone's hobby and enjoyment. And it takes massive effect on people's lives. So for two big institutions like Scunthorpe and Southend to be saved. Um, I'm really happy we've got them in the in the cup next week. It would be good to host Southend. We've also always had good scraps with them down the years. Same with Scunthorpe, you're right. I think they went up from League Two with us um, back in 2005 and they ended up going up into the championship before we did. And uh, yeah, quite similar actually. I remember when we had Madden and Hayter up front that took us to the championship, people likened it to, um, I think they had Hooper and Hayes that were a very similar partnership at Scunthorpe. So yeah, um, you're right to draw the comparisons and it's just great that we don't have to worry about losing good old-fashioned English football clubs which is the last thing we need it's it's absolutely nuts isn't it that that tends to happen I mean I know we had similar with with Yeovil not that long ago but it's like blood boiling isn't it these are like community clubs aren't they South End, Scumfort, Yeovil they're not huge institutions like United and all of that sort of thing but there'll be fans there and generations who go to it and it tends to just be some like businessman doesn't it who's just like got doesn't give a shit about the club or football or that sort of town or community it's from like it's just blood boiling that that can get so close there almost needs to be some sort of like governing body that oversees that and make sure that, that doesn't happen because these clubs what, like the EFL, <laughs> yeah, but, but, no, because well, they're both in the national league system, but they still there should be a um, there isn't isn't there supposed to be a fit and proper persons test for these people as they come in? And you talk about um, he shall who shall not be named at Yeovil last year with the initials SP when he came in, all he had was a track record of failing businesses and liquidating businesses and going bust left, right, and center, and yeah. had no money. And I heard a really good shout somewhere the other day. It might have been on the Glovers cast the Yeovil um, podcast, and someone said these people should be made to put three months or even a year's worth of money aside, give it to the FA, and they keep you get it back if you sell the club, but if you ever get to a position like what Scunthorpe and Southend have, that, that's used to keep the club afloat for a year instead of getting wound up, being able to pay the players, keep the club going, and in the meantime, they can look for a new owner. And if they don't want to do that, then you either haven't got enough money in your skin or your intentions are obviously there to be questioned. Yeah, that's a great shout. I tell, what, yeah. I tell you what really strikes me as well is I know that big, big clubs like, you know, Man City, Newcastle aren't charity cases. So, you know, this can't just happen. But normally clubs are like ending up being like 
they're going to be wound up over like a tax bill, isn't it? For somewhere between like 500k to like 1.2 mil. And I know, I know Man City can't just keep giving handouts every site, every time a club is about to go into administration and fold. But at the same time, the difference in that money at the top level, where you've probably got people close to that being on that a week as an individual player and clubs that are, are you know, five, six divisions below is the difference between them staying afloat just seems um, so wrong. But well, that, probably... yeah, we're obviously not qualified probably enough um, and educated enough to speak about those things. But like we spoke about in the last pod or mentioned in the last pod, from 2027 onwards, the EFL and the Premier League are coming together um, to negotiate TV rights. And I know these two clubs are National League. Laro, you make a very good point. Um, but the whole sort of the TV deals then trickle down, don't they? Um, yeah. So you'd like to think that from 2027 onwards, um, it might get better. But I'm not holding my breath, I'll be honest. Um the whole thing's a bit of a shit show, isn't it, really? But yeah, it's it's like if like a club's not paying its players sometimes, like the PFA steps in, doesn't it, and like covers them their wages type thing. It's almost like if every EFL club and Premier League club could put like a certain amount of money in together or, or however that would work, and it's almost just like a, a savior fund for these clubs that gets paid back over time and fills this pot, that would be a really good way to stop businesses like that going out but then i suppose if you were an owner and you knew that you could fall back on that you could maybe be a yeah. bit more plus where you spend them that's the problem so, it's about making sure these individuals that take over the football clubs have the best intentions and more importantly the ability to fund it if something goes wrong or if they change their mind and they can't just fucking say i'm withdrawing my funding no one's getting paid and we're getting wound up next week yeah you know what it should be as well just quickly you know like how um football clubs should be almost like a national heritage site, if you know what I mean, where they're, they're treated completely different to normal businesses. Yeah, they have some sort of protection to them. Yeah, so they can't they can't be flogged, basically, or like that the ex-Yovel owner was going to sell sell the stadium and develop it as flats or whatever, yeah. like yeah. these kind of things. They need to be protected by government and by law um, yeah. because they're community assets. But l- listen, we're not, we're certainly not, qualified or educated enough to speak about these issues but yeah definitely well maybe we're building a platform tomo where we can start to talk about these things so <laughs> let's keep the conversations going laurie we just touched on yeovil in the fa cup there quickly want to revisit their league form i think previous cup rounds have meant we haven't spoke too much about national league south recently but um quite a big game for yeovil at the weekend third place now on 20 points and they take on Averley uh on 19 points who are in fourth place yeah, it's mental, isn't it, that a massive game for Yeovil now is Averley, a, a town or a village or whatever they are that I'd never even heard of until the summer when they got promoted from their respective league. No disrespect. Um, but they've obviously started well. They've got one point less than us, I think. And I am absolutely buzzing. I can't wait to be at Hewish Park Saturday. I, I'm, I, don't get me wrong. I like the FA Cup and I'm looking forward to the South End one. That's a good tie. But the league is our bread and butter this year. That's absolutely everything. We've started to hit our stride. We we must be up at the top of the second top goal scorers in the league. And another three points could put us top on Saturday and that would just be lush. So, yeah, looking forward to getting up there on Saturday and I'll obviously report back next week. Yeah, and another, another point on that with Yeovil being third is they've got uh, their two points behind Taunton in first and one point behind Bath in second. But I saw Taunton's kit man 
uh, put something on Twitter where he's got all of the players' kits basically on his washing line in yeah. the garden. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. This is where we're at now with the Glovers, where team a team, local rival Taunton, who are two points ahead of them, uh, have got their kits out on the kit man's washing line. So It's good fun, though. Like I've been to all the away games this year, Hemel Hempstead, Hampton and Richmond. These are like good old-fashioned, non-league grounds, and you can have a beer, and it, the atmosphere is class, and it's quite nice being the big fish for a change in it, it, you know, in regards to Yeovil, all of our lives for the most of it, we were going up and up and up. And it's only the last 10 years we started floundering. Now we find ourselves in a league where we are one of the biggest teams that's ever been in it. It's quite nice having that sort of pressure of being the team like Leicester are in the championship, if you like, where you're expected to win every week. And you'll go into the game as a fan thinking we might see some goals and we might see um, the three points come home. So I, I'm enjoying that aspect of it. Yeah, we'll report back, as you say, on that game. Uh, big game for Yeovil and hopefully move them closer towards the top of the league. Boys, we'll move on to the Pyramid podcast treble. Um, less said about midweek, the better. Managed to be even worse than our first attempt last weekend. So confidence is low in the camp. So might be that we're not being so adventurous with our picks this weekend. Tomo, I'll come to you first. Yeah, well, I'm convinced that the podcast is cursed. <laughs> um or or certainly I am anyway. Um I think my my two picks lately have been absolutely shocking. Um probably not to Loro's surprise. Um but anyway, yeah, in 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 this weekend and this week's pod um treble, I'm gonna go for Leicester at home um to Stoke. <laughs> and I don't even think like I'm pr- I'm convinced Stoke will like pull a rabbit out of the hat there now, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just going Leicester at home. The odds actually aren't as sort of, um, what would you say, short as I'd expect them to be. They're they're four to six on. Um, I thought it would be like one to eight on or something ridiculous. So, not bad. Some value there, uh, and hopefully one to get us off the mark. Loro, Yeovil. Um, similar reasons to what I've just said. We're we're around evens and we're playing a village in Essex that I've never heard of so hopefully we can win that one who are above us in the league <laughs> no they're not no third v four we're third they're fourth uh, sorry sorry <laughs> apology right. accepted so um, currently if you put that into a double you give the bookies a tenner and they give you eight quid back in the first bet that ever returns less than you uh, than you staked <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to try and move the odds up a little bit. I'm going to go for Notts County, who are obviously top of the league. One midweek v Swindon, three one. Um, they, I think they've won, lost one in their last seven eight games. Um, they're absolutely flying. They're evens, uh, and I'm away at Barrow, and I'm going to put them on. How adventurous of you! The league leaders <laughs> at Barrow. <laughs> well, I just you. You know value when you see it, and evens when you're top of the league away at 10th place, Barrow. Can I just... Banker. Yeah, can I just advise people listening to this podcast to not put any money on this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe just watch this one, because uh, someone messaged me in the week saying that we've gone zero for six on the treble, and they'd be backing the exact opposite of what we put on, which means there'll be a few Averley, Barrow and Stoke trebles being put on. I don't mind that. <laughs> no, me either. I love it now. I've said it. Uh, but yeah, so um, I think that returns about four and a half to one 
guys so yeah 10 pound on returns about 55 quid obviously might get slightly different odds at different times with different bookmakers but really really hope that we can uh make baby steps and get the treble off to a flyer and get some money into the pot and some money over to charity um and just to finish just a bit of a teaser guys so after the international break we will be launching a new segment which will be called the pyramid podcast cup um, I won't go into too much detail about it now, but effectively it will be uh, a game that goes on throughout the rest of the season and there will be uh, opportunities for all teams across Prem and EFL to finish the season as the Pyramid Podcast Cup holders. Uh, and we'll have a couple of other bits like top goal scorer, team that holds it for the most weeks throughout the season as well. So we'll be looking to launch that uh, after the international break as well. Boys, that's all we've got time for. Uh, pleasure as always. Uh, we'll be back after the weekend to review all of that action that we've spoken about today. Uh, and we'll probably have a little look ahead to some of the international fixtures coming up as well. Cheers, chaps. Cheers, boys. Cheers. One.